Welcome to episode 18, um, the very first episode of 2024. I'm here today with Craig Standry from Monash. Um, I'm super excited to have him on the show because I've been wanting to talk to him about this conversation piece that he got out um, uh, last year. So let's get right into it. Welcome, Craig. Well, thank you, Sinead. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so we just have some preliminary questions for you. Uh, what is your position at Monash? So I am a current PhD candidate at Monash Bioethics Centre uh, and I'm due to submit this year sometime, so slightly nerve-wracking. But... <laughs> Congratulations. How exciting. <laughs> How nerve-wracking. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just some rapid-fire questions. What are your pronouns? Uh, he, him. Thank you. Highlight of the year. I mean, it's only been, what, 10 days? So highlight of this year so far yeah. or, or last year? Well, I have a big highlight of this year already, but it starts with a low light, but ends up being highlight. That, <laughs> uh, a few days ago, my cat went missing and it was like the saddest 24 hours of my life. And uh, I was like putting up posters all around the neighborhood and calling him out around 3 a.m. His name is Bruno. I was walking around with torch at 3 a.m. <laughs> and anyway, uh, I found him. I found him about 3 a.m. in an abandoned yard. Um <laughs> just cowering in the corner. And it's maybe the greatest moment of my whole entire life when I saw him. <laughs> and so oh. I managed to get him out and get him back into my house. And when I did, I collapsed crying of happiness. So <laughs> that's, that's definitely <laughs> the highlight. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I was not yeah. expecting that, but I completely agree. Uh, Finding your pet just, again. I just can't express. I've never felt happiness like it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry it had to happen that way, but I'm happy for you that you have felt that joy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> next question, your coffee order? Uh, just a standard flat white. Ooh, nice. I'm yeah, a soy, soy flat white. And I go for a, a chai latte, but but always always a flat, generally a flat white. Yeah. yeah, I'm prone to a chai latte after 2 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and finally, what would you sing at karaoke? Um. I would say uh, it's either Don't Look Back in Anger by Oasis or, or I go really cliche and go Angels by Robbie Williams. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know either of those songs, but oh, um, no. love that you have like two that you go yeah, for. <laughs> well, I won't try to do a live version here because I'm terrible at it, but, but <laughs> you can look it up. Yeah. Okay, I will. Thank you. Um, well, let's get into um, discussing your research. So um, you're doing a PhD. Um, what is your particular research area at Monash? Um, so we'll just start there. Yeah, yeah, great. So uh, I'm basically looking at um, the decision to have a child in a time of climate change. Uh, and so whether um, it's uh, morally permissible to do so, um, or if it is, to what extent should our procreative practices change in light of climate change? If at all, does does climate change sort of um, put some moral obligations on us? Uh, um, does it make having a child not just a personal decision, but also um, a public health decision as well? Um, and so something that really motivated me on this was uh, I was trying to decide myself whether to have a child, uh, whether this was something that um, I should do, and it really struck me. Um, how much this this sort of does relate to broader questions about um, the climate and, and and what kind of world the child's going to be in, but also the impact that child would have on the world. And so I think it actually is uh, perhaps the biggest um, sort of moral issue that a lot of people in, in childbearing ages um, need to need to sort of think through. 
Uh, and then, and then, so uh, something I was lucky enough was sort of be like, well, this this big moral issue I'm contemplating and grappling with, why don't I do a PhD on this? Um, and and I'm sure if I'm thinking about it, there's lots of other people thinking about it. And um, and so yeah, um, basically that. Basically, to what extent should we should we factor in um, sort of uh, climate change in our in our childbearing decisions? So yeah. That's so interesting, and I'm I'm so interested in this particular topic. Um, you know, I'm of similar age. It's something that's also come up on my mind um, as to whether or not I should have children. Um, you know, a lot of people in our generation have climate anxiety, um, and this is just you know in part one of one of the reasons why we have that. Um, could you mm. talk a little bit more about um, like climate change and that, that role of the individual and why um, taking this particular measure might actually, you know, contribute to the prevention of climate change? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess first thing to say is um, there's sort of two sides of the coin here about this decision-making process. One side is this worry about um, the impact of the world or the environmental climate change on the child. So we might have climate anxiety because we're thinking, well, what kind of what kind of world is my child going to grow into, um, and and is their life going to look like ours? And there's some there's some grim data to show that having a child now that they almost certainly will live through a climate sort of hazard or catastrophe at some point in their life, some sort of bushfires, mm-hmm. flooding, or something. No matter where in the world you are, so that yeah. that's a serious concern for um, for would be parents to think through. Um, then. The other side of the coin, though, and these, these two are related, but the other side of the coin, what I'm really looking at mostly in my PhD is what kind of impact will the child have on the world? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is looking at issues of emissions and overpopulation. Now, um, broadly speaking, there, there are kind of two um, significant variables that can be tweaked to try and um, uh, mitigate or respond to climate change. One is to just reduce um, consumption and emissions per capita consumption emissions. Another is to reduce uh, population. Now, I just want to sort of like um, qualify everything I'm about to say by saying I'm, I'm not claiming at any point that that population is the answer to, to uh, looking at climate change. It has to be done uh, in in conjunction with looking at sort of per capita emissions as well. We can't do the, the claim or, or the thing that I'm looking at is like we can't do really one without the other. Both need to be happening at the same time. So just sort of wanted to say that to start with. Um, but uh, so, so a way to sort of think through this is that, um, okay, great. We Maybe we should just say, look, population is too risky it's too personal it's had too much of an egregious past to, to to look at it why why are we doing this again why don't we just solely look at per capita emissions and if everyone just drops their per capita emissions then then we'd be fine um why are we looking at this population variable as well um but there's a few a few sort of points to that that, that look at the, the impact of population and, and bringing a child into the world that it has and the first one is that um there's no real evidence to say us uh us Folk in, in affluent countries are reducing our per capita emissions fast enough um, to avoid dangerous climate change. Um, we are uh, every year um, we we are increasing our emissions um, like each each sort of affluent country. Um, and so uh, basically, it seems so unrealistic to, to think that we can actually dramatically decrease our per capita emissions quick enough to do anything here. Um, the second thing here is that actually it's not good enough to say that we need to decrease our per capita emissions because many people in the world are living in abject poverty and need to increase their emissions. And so 
Um, we can't sort of say, oh, look, we'll decrease our emissions and you guys, if you just stay at this this, this poverty, <laughs> then we'll be fine. Uh, you know, that is one way to achieve sustainability, actually, is to sort of say we'll dramatically decrease our emissions. You guys stay in poverty and we'll be fine. <laughs> but, mm. but first of all, we're not dramatically increase, decreasing our emissions. And second of all, that's totally unjust and unfair on so many people in the world who actually deserve this space to, to increase their emissions to, to mm. escape poverty. Um, so, so it's not so simple as just saying everyone de decrease their per capita emissions. Another thing is that um, population and emissions tend to rise one-to-one -one with each other. So, for example, between 1975 and 2009, emissions rose by 43% in the United States and Europe. Um, so not addressing population growth means that we may actually undo any of the good work we did do by reducing per capita emissions. Mm. Um, another thing as well is that um, we often tend to think that population projections are um, fixed, you know, what, what it might look like in 2100 is fixed, but it's not. Um, there's, there's different projections, say, by the UN, which has a low, medium and high fertility rate. So now if we could, say, drop our global fertility rates to the, to the low variant that the UN projects, uh, so that would be just dropping fertility rates by only 0.5 births per women, woman, um, then we'd save almost a third of the emissions needed to avoid catastrophic climate change. Uh, that's actually equivalent to the annual emissions that would be saved by doubling the fuel efficiency of cars, increasing wind energy 50-fold, or improving nuclear energy three times over. And it, it, so it accounts for nearly half of the Earth's yearly emissions. So it's a significant variable here that we can sort of look at. Um, and then on a more sort of personal note, or, or like individual level, sorry, is that... Um, the single decision to have a child is the most significant environmental decision an individual will, will ever make in their life. Um, so if we want to drop per capita emissions, this is the decision to make. So, for example, not having a child is about 20 times more effective than the sum total of anything else we can do to, to reduce our emissions. So that includes things like going vegan, driving a fuel efficiency, a car, using energy efficient um uh, appliances around the house, etc. Um, none of that really adds up um, to sort of equaling the single decision to make a child. For example, in an affluent country where we are in Australia, um, not having a child will save about fifty-eight tons of emissions in a lifestyle uh, a year. But the next best thing we can do is to um, not drive a car, and that will only save about three tons of emissions per year. So. If, if we're really kind of thinking through here what we can actually do, then this is a big issue. Um, and the biggest thing for me, though, I know I've, I've rambled on about all of this, but the biggest thing here is that there's a big justice issue at play. So for, for people like you and I living in, in an affluent country like Australia, we're living so unsustainably. We live, we're using so many resources that to actually bring a child into the world in, say, Australia, then what we need for that child to live the same lifestyle as us is to, there to only be about two to three billion people on the planet um, or two to three billion people living on the planet and everyone else living in poverty. Mm. <laughs> now, given that the latter is the case, what we're doing by bringing a child into the world and living our lifestyle is relying on them to stay in poverty. Um, we, we, we require them to not get out of poverty for us to live how we want to live and for that child to live how we want, want them to live or to live our lifestyle, jet setting around the world and driving cars, et cetera. So um, there's a real justice issue at play. Um, mm. There's a 
So it takes about four Earths for, for you and I to live how we're living, which just means that even though Australia's population might be declining or, or even if it were or if the fertility rate is below um, two, then we're still overpopulated. So overpopulation can be distinct from population growth. Um, just because we our population might stabilise doesn't mean we're not overpopulated. Insofar as it takes four Earths to sustain us or our lifestyles, then we're requiring other people to not live on this Earth. Um which is unfair, really. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, there is so much to unpack Stop there. That and, <laughs> and all of that is so interesting. You've covered a lot of content. Um, and I guess, you know, we've gone gone into question two a little bit, which is, you know, what is your research showing? Why is this a problem? Um, we have fundamentally at the core of this, it's a justice issue. Why should some people be able to reproduce when others can't even live a life out of poverty? Um, so I was wondering if we could go into that a little bit more about we're clearly starting to balance some rights here, whether or not those rights exist. So we have the right of, the rights of people who are currently living in poverty, who will continue to live in poverty, whose children will continue to live in poverty um, and actually need more resources. They have a right, they have many rights that are, are being violated by being kept in poverty. Now, on the other side of that, you know, some people might argue that there is a right to reproduce. Um, mm. It's not necessarily a right to reproduce with another person or to force reproduction with someone else but you know some people might argue that well humans are a species they need to reproduce in order to the you know for humans to continue and you know the the most biological thing a human can do is reproduce so how do we balance that if there is a right to reproduce with the right to you know not be in poverty to um you know live a life that you and i are privileged to live how do we balance those Mm, yeah, such a good question. This is this is sort of one of the big tension points in all of this. Um, the first thing to say is that um, we're in what 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 one author, one philosopher talking about this, Trevor Hedberg, terms a moral tragedy. Now he says a moral tragedy is when there's no action we can take that um, produces just outcomes for everybody involved, and so um, there's actually tension and conflict between any approach we take. We can't restitute justice for, say, future generations, for um, people living in poverty now, um, for would-be parents, etc. as well. There's going to be some injustice at play, which is a tragedy. Um, mm. But if we can accept that this is going to be a tragedy, then what our um, sort of moral aim here, I think, becomes about minimising injustice, not eradicating injustice, but about minimising injustice. Now, that's something we can then work with is, is how do we minimise this injustice? And so in terms of specifically your rights-based question here, um, there are quite a few um, philosophers who have analysed what the right to reproduce amounts to, um, because generally speaking, um, to have a right to something means that everyone in the world must be able to have that right. Um, and it can't be in conflict with other rights. But if, if I have a right to sort of reproduce as much as I want, then A, um, yeah, other people don't have the same sort of right, uh, and B, it's in conflict with other people's rights to food, water, shelter and security, uh, really, in a way, like if, we, if we're all sort of doing this um, to the nth degree. So then it becomes a real discussion of, well, um, maybe I have the right to... Uh, have a child because this this is very plausibly a fundamental good um, and it's so fundamental to living a good life for many people the conception of 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 them having a good life is this opportunity to have a child um, whether you decide to not do it or not uh, to do it or not it's the it's the choice to have one in a way and this is central to our conception of having dignity be treating be treated as a worthy human being etc um, 
And so you might sort of say, well, yeah, I do have this, this sort of fundamental right um, and, and no, one should be, no one should be sort of taking that away. And that deserves maybe some normative protection, actually, um, that, that um, philosophers should, should sort of stop sort of like getting in my way there and, and there has to be some sort of protection that I should be able to have a child. So a lot of people say, say yeah, okay, we can concede that. Um, but then it becomes a different question about how many children to have from there. If I have the right to have a child to reproduce, what does that amount to? Does that amount to having the right to have as many children as I want? Well, maybe not. Maybe this is where some philosophers can do some work is to sort of say, well, maybe the right, um, there's a distinction between right and right to have a child and the liberty to have as many as we would like. Because we might say it's an absolute tragedy to not be able to have the opportunity to have one child insofar as this is central to your life meaning. Um, but but to not but all the sort of goods of procreation and, and having a child can be satisfied by one. Um, and having more than one, we might sort of say, well, that could be very unfortunate and sad that you can't have more of one. But it's not the same tragedy, perhaps, as, as not having one. Um, and so um, some people equate it to almost like the right to food and drink. You know, you and I have this, let's say, this human right to food and drink. But that doesn't give us the right to caviar and champagne. It doesn't give us the right to, to sort <laughs> yeah. of the most of, of, of what we might want or need. Uh, or, yeah. or sorry, the most of, of that right. Um, and so um, it, what it does, the right to food and drink means we have the right to a minimally decent life. We have the right to something that gives us the, the sort of minimal things to, to have a fundamentally good life in terms of our conception of it. So we might, rolling with that analogy, sort of say, well, insofar as the opportunity to have a child is the same sort of dignity thing, like like the right to food and drink, then um, I have the right to what would minimally capture that. Um, but I don't have the right to sort of have as much of that as I, as I want, like food and drink, <laughs> mm. um, perhaps. So that's one thing. And then we might sort of say, well, what about bodily autonomy? Don't I, can't I just do what I want with my body? And in a way, yes, um, but even bodily autonomy is restricted. Like I can't walk down the street and unconsensually punch somebody. That, that would be, um, okay, I'm exercising my bodily autonomy there, but it's actually yeah. violating one of their rights. So, yeah. so we might say if I start having two or three children, perhaps I'm violating other rights here. Um, yeah. Perhaps. And so we, we could, the, so a lot of philosophers are sort of trying to get this tension point here is, well, maybe we have the right to one, maximally two, but nothing over that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is so interesting um, and I, I fully respect, um, you know, the way that philosophers have to, unfortunately, because resources are finite, the planet is finite. It is the ultimate argument that the planet has finite resources. It is sometimes a shame to limit rights, but, you know, rights exist with other rights. Humans are relational beings. We exist in communities. Um, and, you know, there's actually some philosophers who go so far as to argue that because we are owed rights, we simultaneously owe rights to others. So we have a duty to fulfill others' rights. So whilst we might have a right to, you know, one child and to, to reproduce, because we owe the same duty to others, ours cannot then supersede theirs. Mm. And I, I do, I, I like, it's difficult to find that tension, but I, I think your work is so interesting in that particular area and finding that where can we, you know, maximally afford everyone, you know, the good life mm. without just destroying the planet in the process. And another thing we might say here as well is we might say that talk of rights is too simple. Um, mm. So Travis Reader, a philosopher talk, um, in this area, he makes this really good point that 
Well, just because you have the right to do something doesn't actually make it the right thing to do. Um, but this mm. sort of morality can sort of say here to you. So, um, so okay, let's say I have the right to reproduce. And that, let's say it's unqualified. Let's say I have the right to have as many children as I want um, and, um, and and no one should be, no one should be um, intervening there or telling me that it has to be limited to one or two children. Well, then there just becomes another question of, um, yeah, well, is it, is it actually the right thing to do to have more, more than two children? So sometimes rights, if I have a right to do something, what it's actually protecting is my right to do something wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I have the right to, I, I earn my money and so I have the right to do what I want with my money, let's say. But there are still good or bad ways to spend that money, right? If I go gambling at the pokies all weekend, that has less moral value than if I gave that money to charity, right? Mm. <laughs> or yeah. it doesn't give me the right to, this This feels really egregious, you know, imagine if I then go up to a homeless person and burn some money in front of them, right? That is just so wrong. So even yeah. though if I have the right to do what I want with my money, um, it doesn't make certain actions that I do with that right right. Yeah. <laughs> it might still be it might still be very wrong to do. So perhaps that's something we can say here as well is that okay, I have the right to reproduce, but but let's talk about that. Um, yeah. The, 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 there's actually doesn't make it the right thing to do to have so many children, especially yeah. for, for people like you and I. I live in an affluent country. Um, mm. It would still be the wrong thing to do, even though I have the right to do it. Yeah, and yeah. I think um, that point makes so much sense in the context of reproduction because the right re re to, to reproduce inevitably requires resources and, you know, um, others intervening in our life, especially if we want the child to, you know, actually survive childbirth and if we want ourselves <laughs> to survive childbirth, that requires, you know, the resources and duties of others to fulfil. Um, so, you know, our rights are not just because we have them, you know, doesn't, yeah, you're completely right, doesn't mean it's always the right thing to actually exercise them. Yeah. yeah. Now, if we were to carry that argument forward, would a consequence of that argument be that those of us who have been afforded the privilege to live the affluent lifestyle we have, because we, you know, we're lucky to have that, we didn't choose that, sure. we're lucky to be this rich, this wealthy, um, then does that mean that there is an impersonal duty on us to create a world for others to do the same? And if that is true, does that mean that there is a greater responsibility on the affluent to restrain from having children or multiple children more so than those who have not been afforded the same privilege? Yeah, yeah, great question. So uh, in a way, yes, yes, I, I, I do sort of think this. And this, this sort of gets back to what we were saying earlier about how um, for us to live our lifestyle or, or to reproduce, bring someone into the world who will live our similar lifestyle to us um, means that the, the global population needs to be two or three billion or, or other people living in abject poverty. Mm. Um, I think what gives that, that gives rise here to a duty of justice, that, that, that people like you and I have this duty of justice to other people. People. This is just this, we're relying on injustice. We're relying, we require the world to be unequal and unfair and inequitable for, for us to, to reproduce. So I think there is this strong onus on us to um, fulfil some sort of duty of justice here and to take these um, these considerations about population and, mm. and very, very seriously over and beyond because, and I mean, this gets even further um or, or the point can be made in first because, yeah, we're the ones who are living unsustainably. We're the ones yeah. who uh, who have sort of 
making climate change happen. Um, and also they're, the people sort of like in vulnerable areas, like, you know, you think of Pacific Island nations are going to be the first to go underwater. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Not because of the is because of our lifestyles living so yeah. unsustainable. We rely on injustice to live our consumptive lifestyles. Mm. And it goes back to this history of colonialism as yeah. well. Um, and so um, Elizabeth Cripps, a philosopher, talking about this, um, she makes the point so well that climate action has to equal climate justice. Uh, mm. And so I think that puts a strong onus on people like you and I in, in, in countries like Australia. Yeah. Um, in saying all of that, um, and it is very fraught, with rightly so fraught with tension to talk about reproduction in, in developing countries, given given it's not their fault, <laughs> basically. Yeah. And given the, the sort of racism that can come up, the, the eugenics that can come up, the, yeah. the different um, sort of problems of sort of like um, trying to limit reproduction for other people. Um, yeah. the, the reason that I would say that their reproduction really matters is, is when looking to the future, is that um, if insofar... As, as we value them getting out of poverty, then it means they're going to just emit a lot more moving forward. Yeah. Um, so this will, we hope in a way, become a moral issue for them, right? Yeah. <laughs> because they're going to start, we want them to sort of have the same opportunities for life that you and I have. And so yeah. insofar as they do have those opportunities, then this becomes a strong moral issue for them as well, moving yeah. forward. Yeah. You know, I really see um, this as analogous with um, white privilege and the way mm. white privilege only exists because we suppress other other races you yeah. cannot have white privilege unless there is you know the domination of other um and you know same thing is with male privilege and yeah. you know the, the way i'm thinking about this is just like environmental privilege i've had the environmental privilege to be where i am to grow up with the lifestyle i have and for my kids you know if i was to have them to do the same but i can't i don't deserve that and so therefore i have a moral duty to you know not exercise that privilege yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. We can think of it all as like a bit of a lifeboat, let's say, like the earth is this sort of lifeboat um, and, and you and I in these affluent countries, there's only a certain amount of space in this lifeboat to survive. Mm. Uh, in these affluent countries are using up way more than our fair share. Um, yeah. And so we're requiring people to not get onto that lifeboat. We, we, we need them to sink or swim around us um, while, we, while we use up our fair share. So it becomes this yeah. sort of duty of justice to sort of maybe like, um, not take up so much space in that life, but so other people can get on. And yeah, yeah. We've gone through morality, we've gone through ethics, we've gone through duties. Um, let's move on to like some practical ways that we can solve this this problem that you know you're you're researching. So my first mm. question is, you know, well, what should the government do about this? Are you proposing a, a ban on reproduction if your income is over a certain amount? You know, <laughs> that's quite radical. But you know, what could the governments do? And if if potentially it's not within the realm of governments to control reproduction, particularly because of, you know, like, you know, eugenics in the past, what can mm. the ordinary person do? Mm. Yeah, great question. So I'll speak briefly about government. Um, mm -hmm. It's not uh, the so it's not really the, the main focus of my, my research area. I'm mainly thinking about individuals, but, but there is definitely something to say about government here. And so, um, yeah, government have, governments have a few options available to, to them. For example, um, the, the most obvious sort of thing the government can do is to look at autonomy enhancing methods. And so this, this means things like making sure contraception is available to everyone, making sure everyone has safe and, and equitable access um, to abortion services, things like this, right? So, so they're all in autonomy enhancing and, and hardly seen controversial. Mm. I mean, okay, obviously 
particularly some religious groups will find that controversial and things. But but in terms of thinking through um, responses to the environment, that 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 I, I don't I, I can't see too much controversy with them. Mm. Uh, it, in terms of let's let's look at enhancing people's autonomy, uh, and that will actually um, do some good here. Yeah. Um, uh, that's one thing. Another way of enhancing autonomy is environmental education, right? Um, is is actually empowering people to think through these issues for themselves, uh, thinking through um, uh, what their actions look like and how they do fit into these broader problems of justice for other people. Um, I think that can play a massive part in, in all of this. Um, in fact, some people, there's been one study of textbooks in Canada uh, and these textbooks for high school students look at the ways to reduce emissions and none of them mention um, uh, having fewer children. And so there's this sort of ways here of being like, look, maybe governments shouldn't tell people not to have children, but maybe they should mm. just point out some of this stuff, right? Um, mm. Of course, that becomes very, um, you have to tread so carefully here though because, because of the history of, of race and eugenics. And, mm. and insofar as you're, you're sending out this message to humanity or to your country, um, you're not you're not going out into a blank slate. You're going out to a, to a, to a, a society with a with current and a and a problematic deep history of racism and, mm. and etc. So so it has, to be, it has to be treated very carefully here. But in principle, that there's sort of some autonomy enhancing things there. These are all super interesting, um, and I can imagine there's going to be you know some quite uh, critical responses to those. But Absolutely. I'm yeah. very, very interested in your conversation article and what you call the five big questions. Um, would mm. you mind going through that with me? There's a, I think in terms of what what ordinary people can do in this situation is one thing to do is, is to really um, stop thinking about um, our, our morality as such and more think about our ethics. And, and to understand this point, let's think about the etymology of morality and ethics. So, so, the, so mora- morality really comes from mores, which can mean manners and the way we act around people, right? How we should behave to one another. But ethics comes from like ethos or character. And so, if we can actually really think here about our our ethos and character, instead of just like thinking about, oh, I should have maximum one child or maximum two children. One way to really think about this is like, what kind of person do I want to be in relation to this, this mm. these environmental problems and this and these overpopulation issues and these justice issues? So rather than thinking about, yeah, my specific actions towards others, or I can only have one child or do that, let's think about who we are and how we want to live and what kind of values we want to live by. And so thinking through that um, in this conversation article, I put some, forward some questions that that people I think should be thinking through. Um, when they're deciding to have a child. And I think these sort of relate to um, how we should be thinking about our character in light of all of this. And so we already think existentially when we have a child, you know, already think like, am I up for this challenge? Um, will this give meaning for my life? What does this mean for me and my friends or or, or me and my partner and things like this? Um, mm. But sort of rolling with these existential type questions and thinking about our ethos, well, I think this we should ask these questions. Well, at, and I don't want to presume to answer them for somebody. I think this is this is things people can think through themselves. Um, but things like, well, yeah, will my child have a high emissions lifestyle and will this mean others must live in poverty? If so, is this justifiable? Um, and, and another question we should ask is like, well, do I actually have biological parenting desires? That is, do I have the desire to parent someone who has my genes or do I simply have parenting desires? That is the desire to raise someone in a loving environment according to my values, regardless of their genes. 
And and I think on a personal note for someone like me, I think I just simply have parenting desires. I I really want to mentor uh, and teach. Um, I've got a godson, I've got two nieces. I really want to throw myself into their lives and 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 that would satisfy my parenting desires. Um, but because I, I don't think I have these deep biological parenting desires. Um, and then, but even if I might discover I have a strong biological connection once I have a child, could I still have a meaningful and fulfilled life if I raise someone who's not biologically connected to me? Um, if I only have parenting desires, can this be satisfied in other ways, such as through fostering, teaching, mentoring, or if possible, adopting? Um, and does satisfying my parenting desires in other ways particularly apply to me if I already have one biological child? And so the, these are sort of deep existential questions about how one values themselves and their life and um, and their, their, what gives meaning to their life, uh, which I think I think we all have at least uh, a moral obligation to ask these questions, uh, yeah. whether I don't want to presume to then say, well, we have a moral obligation to only have one child as a result of asking these questions. I think that's for each person. I think through their ethos, their character, mm. uh, and, and how to live a life, a meaningful life um, in in what this world is looking like <laughs> yeah. in a way, right? Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, and so I think I think something I might say or something I said in the conversation piece is that um, it, it, a just society values everyone being able to pursue having a child if they wish to, but it also demands that everyone consider the ramifications for doing so. And, mm. and I think that's what a duty of justice at least yeah. amounts to. Yeah. I really, I really like those questions. I think um, they're things that I wouldn't have thought about before. I think, you know, people definitely think, you know, should I have a kid or should I like just adopt? Um, but that's sort of just being like the, the plain issue there is, you know, there's already, there are so many kids out there who need a home. Like that's the justice reason. But mm. now we have more than that. There are many justice reasons why we should, you know, give the kids who are off the boat a chance before we go and, you know, just make some new ones on the boat already. If that's, that's right. right. But the one thing I really I also really liked about your conversation article is like reversing the onus of responsibility. Um and I think what you say here is often people who choose not to have children feel the need to explain the decision to others. And a hundred percent I have felt that, especially as mm. a young married woman. <laughs> I've been, you know, mm. um, I don't have kids. Um, you know, anytime yeah. I go to make a big announcement about my life, people just like look at my stomach. And yeah. it's like <laughs> You know, I'm I'm constantly required to justify my decision as to why I don't have kids, especially yet. Yeah. Um, and I like your approach about, well, maybe it should be the reverse. Maybe we should require people who wish to ethically bring someone in the world to justify themselves. And that doesn't mm. mean that, you know, we're going to judge them, but just asking, have you, you know, reflected and evaluated all of these things? And if you had, cool, great. You've tried to make the best moral decision that you have in your circumstances. We're not here to judge people for having kids. We're not here to say you shouldn't but just asking people to do so ethically. And I really like that. Yeah, that's right. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that, that's right. I think I think that's right. People should have the opportunity to respond to these questions. It's not mm. sort of saying, um, oh, I've got gotcha. like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you. Like, sort of say like, oh, yeah, you, you can't have children. But, yes, um, exactly. I think the onus, uh, I think all this stuff about population and the emissions and our duties of justice here do show that there's some very serious ethical questions that, that people who want to have children need to ask. Um, and um, so, so thinking through these questions, I think the onus is on them to think through these questions. And, mm. and I would, maybe I'm being way too idealistic here, but, but I almost think this is 
in one way the answer, right, or, or the most ethical answer to this whole um, uh, conundrum uh, is that it could just change the, the, the sort of cultural and society from being so pro-natalist to like, yeah, people saying to you, why haven't you had children, to, to actually like when people say, hey, we're, yeah, we're planning to have a child in the next two years or something, it's like, oh, well, um, here you need to ask these, you need to ask some questions here then. Like <laughs> you can answer them for sure. I'm not for a second saying you can't answer them, but 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 actually um, this is sort of the, the default position now is that there's some justice issues that you need to think through. Having a child doesn't it just affect you. It's a public mm. health decision as well now. So yeah. yeah. Wow. This has been so much fun and so interesting and I've really enjoyed getting to see your research in far more depth than the 600-word conversation article. So <laughs> thank you so much for coming on um, and talking to me today, uh, talking with me today about this. Um, Ruthie, you know, does send her regards and that she's sorry she couldn't be here. Um, but honestly, it was such a delight to have you on the pod. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a privilege. I've, I've followed your pod for a while now. And it's a secret <laughs> passed on. So <laughs> I felt very chuffed. It was very, very oh, No, you. we we are privileged to have you take, you know, time out of your final year to come and talk to me. So thank you. Thanks, Janae. Thanks so much.